You'd like to follow along. Our scripture reading this morning will come from Revelations chapter 21, starting in verse 1, going through verse 8. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new, and he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the waters of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which is with burning with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Thank you, Dwayne. Good morning, church. It's good to see you today. Are you getting excited? Next week it begins, and I know Barry is excited. I know Barry is sitting on go. I've visited with him a couple of times and saw him just last week, and I know he is looking forward to next Sunday. It's going to be a great day, and my thoughts and prayers will be with you all next Sunday as things get started. I want to invite you back tonight, if you possibly can be here, 5 o'clock, evening worship, and I know it's not always possible for everyone, but tonight we're going to talk about some things that we don't talk a lot about uh, from the pulpit. A, a lot of times we don't talk about the relationship between the preacher and the church, and, and for a variety of reasons. But tonight we're going to notice two things as we uh, think about a lesson entitled Great Expectations. We're going to talk about what you should be expecting from your preacher, but then we're also going to talk about what your preacher is expecting from you. And so if you can't be here tonight, I hope you'll go to the website and download that lesson or subscribe to it as a podcast because we will talk about things that we don't talk about a lot, but I think you'll find them interesting and I, I hope they'll cause you to, to maybe think and study. I want to begin our lesson this morning by meddling a little bit. Uh, how good are you at keeping appointments? Have you ever missed one? Do you ever have a problem with this is on the calendar and I'm supposed to be there at this time, but for whatever reason, I just can't get there on time. I always show up late. One of the fears in my work traveling for HCU and visiting churches, my fear is about Sunday nights. One of my fears is that I'm going to show up at the wrong time because just like Savannah's doing right now, many congregations, some meet at 5, some meet at 6, and then sometimes they move it around based on what time of the year it is. And so one of my fears is rolling in at 6 o'clock and having completely missed evening worship. A couple of years ago, it finally happened to me, but it happened on Sunday morning. 
I was up in Michigan, and it was a church I'd been to several times, and so I had a folder, and I had some old church bulletins, and I didn't reconfirm this start time with them. And the church bulletin, they'd always been a 10 o'clock church, and so I rolled in, I was planning for 10 o'clock, and I rolled in about 9.40, and I thought, there are a lot of cars here already, because usually when I'm early, I'm you know one of the first cars. Well, they had moved their service time to 9.30, and I was late. It flies all over me. I, can't, I don't like being late. Uh, we send students out to fill in at churches and we'll say things to them like, okay, you may have a bad Sunday, you may have a bad sermon, you may have some things go wrong, but just whatever you do, do not be late. We'll talk about that. Maybe when it comes to keeping appointments, we've had that one from back in days when we were in school. We come sashaying into the classroom and instead of the normal buzz in the classroom, we realize that everybody in the room has that desperate, earnest look on their face as they're looking over their notes one last time because the teacher is about to administer a test that you had completely forgotten about. Have you been there? It's a horrifying feeling and it's kind of like a missed appointment. Well, where are we going with this? There is an appointment that, that all of us are going to keep. And according to the Bible, it could even be compared to an examination. We will not be late. We will not miss it. We will not have the option to reschedule. Prepared or not prepared, we will be there and we will be examined. We are all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I begin this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he's done, whether good or bad. The end of time here is coming. Paul wrote what we just read, and, and so the end of time is coming. Each of us are going to have a personal encounter with Jesus. Let that sink in. And let that be in your mind as we study this morning. I don't know what you picture when you think of Judgment Day and, and what that scene might look like. Some of you that are my age or maybe older, you may remember years ago those Jewel Miller film strips that we would show. And, and there was a slide in those Jewel Miller film strips where it showed a judgment scene. And I mean, it was this, this line of humanity lined up all waiting to go before the judge. And that's typically, we, we, we think in terms of coming before some sort of a throne where Christ is seated. Uh, obviously, when we think about judgment, there may be a measure of apprehension, a, a measure of fear, because it's something we've not experienced. None of us have been through it. We can't call up a friend who's been through it. It's a, it's a bit of an unknown. I began this morning in 2 Corinthians 5. Because as Paul writes there, he's very plain and he's very all-inclusive about the idea that we'll all appear in judgment. I want you to go with me to Revelation chapter 20. And I want to read some verses from there. And I realize that some believe that this paragraph has to do with the final uh, Rome finally being defeated. And, and so I wanted to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But, but, but one way or another... 
This passage, it gives us a glimpse, it gives us a view into what a judgment scene in front of God looks like. Verse 11, Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, written in the book of life, He was thrown into the lake of fire. No matter how you picture it and envision it in your mind, Judgment Day is coming. It's a promise from God. It's the appointment that you will not miss. It's the one for which you will not be late. And when you think about it, it's the second reason that we need to finish well. Now, you may remember last week we were talking about Paul's last days and we were talking about the need for us to finish well. And the reason that we talked about last week is because our work is unfinished. Our mission is unfulfilled. There's still work that needs to be done. And for that reason, we need to finish well. But the second reason is what we're talking about today. The reason I need to finish well is because I will stand before Jesus one day. And so this morning, I want us to think about the end of time for a few minutes. We're not going to do an exhaustive study of it, but it is my prayer that what we talk about today will re-motivate all of us toward finishing well. A day has been fixed. A day has been appointed by God. It's one of the things that Scripture reveals to us about the end of time. In Acts 17, Paul is there. He's explaining the unknown God in Athens. And we're not going to read all of that, but when you get to verse 30 of Acts 17... He says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because He's fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He's appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising Him from the dead. Now I, and and we talked about this in class, I think most of us in class, we tend to be deadline-oriented people. Put a deadline on the calendar for me, then I know when I need to be done, I know when I have to have it accomplished, that that helps me, I need a deadline, and, and I ought to be more proactive, and I realize that. And so according to Scripture, there's a deadline. God is fixed today. There's a time when God is going to end it all. The problem is I can't operate in my comfort zone because the date has not been revealed to me. Has God put a specific date on the calendar? Maybe He has. Maybe He's watching, but one way or the other, the Bible teaches He has appointed the day. He's declared the day. It's on Him. He will decide. And see, we know that time here isn't guaranteed. Now, what we do know is that if we arrived here at 9 o'clock for Bible study and we'll be in worship for about an hour and we'll get out about 11, we do know that we're two hours nearer to that deadline when we walk out of here today than when we parked the car and got out to come in earlier. We know we're two hours closer. We know that. Because see, I may pass from this life. My time here is not guaranteed. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 
teaches us, and inasmuch as is it appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. So I may pass on, or Jesus may return. The deadline can occur either way. And it's a day which, according to Scripture, God alone knows. It's not a day where I can go and I can do signs and symbols and calculations and math and and, and declare to you that I've calculated what day it's going to be. That's not in Scripture. You know what is in Scripture? Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, where Jesus says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. He's very plain. Jesus says, I don't know. God the Father knows. So if somebody tells me they have it calculated, bless their heart, they are in essence saying, if I go and say, well, I've calculated it, I've figured it out, what I'm in essence doing, I'm calling Jesus Himself a liar. That's dangerous ground. Jesus said, I don't know. 1 Thessalonians 5 teaches us that that day will come like a thief in the night. And we're not going to go read that right now, but I would challenge you in your time, go to 1 Thessalonians 4, read the last part of that, where Paul is trying to provide comfort regarding saints who have passed on and how they will be raised and, and how all of that's going to work as Jesus returns. And then he turns to those of us who are living and he says, hey, as a Christian, you know this, I don't need to teach it again, but I've got to talk about it again. Hey... You ought to know how this works. It's not about knowing a specific day. It's about living ready. It's about living in a way so that you don't have to know the day. It doesn't take you by surprise because you just live a life of readiness. You live a life of preparedness. For the people who are unprepared, it's like a thief breaking in at night. You know perfectly or completely, not the specific day, but the specific way that God has prescribed for being ready. And so therefore, based on all that's been said, just live a life of preparedness. That's what Jesus teaches us. And so God has fixed a day. And I won't be able to make excuses if I'm unprepared. Now, while the idea of judgment may be scary in some ways for all of us, please don't miss the other part of what John sees and then writes about in Revelation. What God showed him that he was able to write down, heaven will be amazing. Amazing beyond anything that we can grasp or imagine. John provides a description, and what he does, he uses human terms to try to to paint this beautiful picture of what heaven's going to be like. But as I read, please understand, I believe it's more about what we find there than either what heaven looks like or what it's made of. We know 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us our bodies aren't going to be what they are. It's not going to be an earthly body. It's going to be completely different. We know from places like 2 Peter 3, everything that's tangible that we can grasp onto in this life will be done away with. And so it's going to be different. It's a spiritual world. And so don't get too hung up on the description of heaven itself. But be amazed by what we find there. Turn in Revelation 21 with me and notice just a few verses. We find there God dwelling among His people. 
Verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. That's what we've been missing. Since Adam and Eve broke relationship with God in the garden, that's what we've been missing. The the renewal of a full, ongoing, never-ending relationship with where God is again among His people. That's what we've been missing. It's been God's upper story plan the other time. We find that in heaven. And then we find it revealed as a place where there is no death, no crying, no mourning, no pain. Notice verse 4. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Can you imagine what that will be like? Because life here, while we're down here, life here has a lot of those four things. You know, some of you probably hit two or three of those with a fourth one contemplated just trying to get everybody up and get everybody dressed and get everybody out the door and get everybody to church. I mean, we can have all of that on a Sunday morning just about before we ever get to church. It's hard to comprehend. How will I look around heaven and, and not be sad if, if someone dear to me is not there? How will I not be mourning that? How will I not be sad about that? Somebody that I've worked with or I've loved or I've prayed about. I, I don't know. I can't wrap my mind around that. But it is amazing to begin to wrap my mind around the idea of forever being a place where bad things don't happen. Forever with God being nothing ever going wrong. Where there is no getting up each day and having to take medicine because of the chronic pain that plagues me day in and day out. A time where there's never going to be a month where I run out of money before I've run out of month and I wonder how I'm going to make ends meet. Where I never am going to go to a doctor because I won't need one and get a bad report. A place where that's never going to happen. You know, let all of that simmer in your mind. The idea that there will be no death, no crying, no mourning, nor no pain. Let that be in your mind. And then when things do go wrong here, because they will, allow the things that go wrong here to motivate you about what you're looking forward to. Hey, I'm looking forward to and I'm staying faithful because forever is going to be a place where nothing ever goes wrong. And then finally in Revelation 22, we find the tree of life again. Notice the first couple of verses. Then He showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Remember the tree of life? From the garden, back in Genesis 3.22, Adam and Eve lost access to the tree of life. Through the accomplishments of Jesus, we will again have access, uh, again the completion of God's upper story plan. Now we're being brief, but, but, but it's just this idea. In amongst all of this, don't lose sight of the fact that heaven will truly be amazing. But you see, I am accountable 
and so are you. My eternal destination is up to me, but I cannot earn it. My salvation is God's gift to me. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. But I'm accountable to God for the way that I live my life while I'm here. Again, what we've been reading out of the text, I will be judged according to my deeds. Revelation 20, verse 12. I saw the dead, the great, the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. What I've done, a lot of it will not be pretty. But the beauty of God's promise is forgiveness. And one of the things revealed in Scripture is, is we, we, we serve a God who when He forgives, He remembers no more. Jeremiah 31 verse 34 talks about that, that thing with God where when I forgive, I don't remember it anymore. I don't hold it against you anymore. It's gone. It's over. But to be forgiven, my name must appear in the book of life. Verse 15 of Revelation 20, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 21, verse 27, And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. See, even though God has done the heavy lifting, working His upper story plan, sending His Son to live among us and go to the cross, even though God has done the heavy lifting, if my name isn't in the book of life, it's my responsibility, not God's. On the day of judgment, everything will be known. Again, verse 12, judge from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. We can live among people. We can live on this earth and we can fool people. We can fool family. We can fool brethren. The people that we are around every day, we can, we can live a, a holy lifestyle that really isn't. But on the day of judgment, God knows, He already knows, and He's going to get it right. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 24 the Bible says the sins of some are quite evident, going before them into judgment. For others, their sins will follow after. And the other thing that we notice about my name being written in the book of life, it's not a lottery. It's not a game of chance. It's not be me, me being randomly picked by God to be in a relationship with Him. God, some would teach you that you have been randomly chosen to either be in or out and you can't do anything about it. But if that's the case, you have no free will. And, and I can promise you we have free will. So for my name to be written in the book of life, I need to be very interested in washing my robe. Notice what Revelation 22 verse 14 says. It says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. You think back to some of the things that we've looked at through the story just even within the last few weeks. You think about Peter's great sermon on the day of Pentecost. His sermon convicted. It helped people who had murdered Jesus. It helped see their accountability. And so when we understand our guilt, the people on the day of Pentecost, they illustrate the proper reaction. Okay, if we've done wrong, if we killed Jesus, if that's on us, then what do we need to do? Peter hadn't shared all the finer points of Christian living. He simply allowed them to understand the impact of their sin and God's amazing solution. 
We talked about Saul, who would later be called Paul on the road to Damascus. Jesus helped Saul understand the urgency of changing his life. Three days later, Ananias helped him understand the urgency of washing his robe. See, the end of time is coming. The reason that we need to finish well, well, the reason is each of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. God is placing that appointment on your calendar and on mine. And see, the classic scary preacher line, the one that we sometimes use is, what if that appointment is today? It's a classic scary preacher line, but see, it's actually true. That day could be today. And that's why those of us who preach, that's why we ask that question. We were again this week reminded about the brevity of life. And I don't know why it is, but somehow there's just something about it when somebody famous passes away, it somehow grabs our attention like sometimes we're, you know, but we're reminded of the brevity of life. Because that's how this appointment works. Either Jesus returns or my life in this physical body ends. And when that happens, it's time for judgment. And so the question is, are you prepared for that? Are you ready for that day? The message of Scripture is not about trying to find out what day it is. It's, the, it's living here, hastening the day, being ready, living a life of readiness, and the idea that Jesus, whenever you're ready to come back, I'm ready to go home. On Friday, I attended the memorial service for Willard Piles, one of our faculty members from years ago, over in Cornersville. His son Tim... Uh, presided over the service and that's got to be hard but Tim did a fantastic job I've known Tim many years longer than I've actually knew his dad but as Tim summed up his dad's life a life where he noted that you know dad's life wasn't perfect because no life is he summed up in the end by saying that he was faithful Because it's through being faithful, see, we understand that. It's through being faithful that we continue to be showered by God's amazing grace. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So the message of the Bible is simply, be ready. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because He's fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He's appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising Him from the dead. Why journey through the story? Well, to magnify God and His plan. To be better prepared to live the story day in and day out. To dispel ignorance. To to help people be ready. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Are you prepared today? And if you can sit there and if you can say you are, then let me challenge us this way. If, if we're saying, okay, I am prepared, who can we go find? Who can we reach out to to help be ready?
But if you're thinking about this question today, and if this lesson's very uncomfortable because you can't answer confidently that, yes, I know I'm prepared. Yes, I know I'm ready. Please, I would plead with you, as Paul tried to persuade me, and I'm trying to persuade you today, please take accountability for your life right now. Don't wait till later. Because you've got to remember, when God looks down on an assembly like this, we, we may see lots of different things. We may see lots of different groups. We may see lots of different kind of people. But, but see, God will see two, two groups. God will see forgiven, and God will see unforgiven. And hopefully that forgiven group is just everybody. I mean, hopefully there's nobody in an unforgiven group. But, but if there is, that's how God sees it. If you're not forgiven today, what needs to change? Maybe you need to obey the gospel. Your obedience to Christ, baptized into Him for the remission of your sins. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe as a Christian, maybe it's about rededicating your life and and starting over and living that life of preparedness. Because let's be honest, day in and day out, life is distracting and it's easy to get off course and it's easy to think about a lot of other things than our Christian walk and sometimes we need to start over. There's nothing shameful about saying, hey, I need to start over. Especially when you do it around people who love you. Are you prepared for eternity? That's the question. Bradley's going to lead us in a song and if you need to respond today, please do that while we stand and while we sing.